Please join me in prayer. Gracious and holy God, we thank you for your words of of challenge and comfort. We ask that you would help us to hear the voice of your spirit at work in our lives this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So high I can't get over it, so low I can't get under it, so wide I can't go around it, gotta go in by the door. You remember that gospel song? I remember I started humming that song one day last year when my car accidentally got uh, locked up. I'd been going for a long run in the Palos Trail system, and I'd parked in the parking lot at the Little Red Schoolhouse. And when I got to the, back to the trailhead about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, they had closed early and padlocked the gate to the front entrance to the parking lot so I couldn't get into my car. Of course, my cell phone was in the car, so I had to get into the lot in order, somehow in order to call for assistance. Well, at first I tried to climb over that fence, uh, but one of the bars came loose. I fell, almost impaled myself. Then I looked for a way around the fence, but of course, you know, it was all the way around the property, and there was barbed wire in places. Finally, I ended up just barely scraping through underneath the gate, ripping my jacket in the process. It was one of those times I was grateful to be skinny. And, and I was lucky that this particular gate was not so low that I couldn't get under it. But what I kept thinking about afterwards was, uh, you know, after the Forest Preserve police came to get my car out, I kept thinking, I'd never even noticed the gate on my way in. I'd been there several times before. It had never occurred to me that this parking lot had defined hours during the day, let alone that I could get locked out of it, or my car might get locked in. I felt frustrated. I mean, why hadn't they just posted a warning sign or something? Today, I I noticed a similar dynamic going on in this parable Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has a gate in front of his house. One could say he lives in a gated community. But he doesn't give much thought to this gate. Probably doesn't even notice it. Until one day he finds himself on the wrong side of the fence. Somehow it's been locked. According to Father Abraham, the gate has become a great chasm so that it's no longer possible to go back and forth. It's so high, he can't get over it. It's so wide, he can't go around it. so low, he can't go under it. And it's too late to go in by the door. This rich man, he is frustrated, incredulous. He says, if only I had known... Someone should put up a sign. At least tell my brothers so that they won't make the same mistake that I did. But Father Abraham says to the rich man, they already have the law and the prophets. That's their warning. And if your family doesn't listen to them, then one more sign is just not going to make a difference. I think it's a rather discouraging story, don't you? It's like the moral of the story is, beware you who fail to read the fine print. There could be hell to pay. 
And the worst part is that Jesus isn't talking about parking enforcement here. Notice, notice how like the rich man in this story, I managed to retell the parable without even mentioning Lazarus. That's the funny thing about walls and fences and other social boundaries. Sometimes we don't even notice them. Even as they allow us to forget also about the people on the other side. Fences are often put up to keep other people out. And as long as we're not the ones excluded, we might not even notice. So I've been, I've been trying to pay more attention to gates and fences lately. Since the weather's been warmer, I've been taking bike rides around the neighborhood more. I have a large loop that I like to do near my house. I go through Ridgewood and then, then, down, then timber, uh, timber trails and then down the hill through by Sacagawea Park, if you can picture that. And then I go across the Wolf Road to Acacia, up the other side of Willow Springs through the Highlands and the Triangle. It's a nice loop. And on these rides, I found it fascinating to observe the differences between the different subdivisions, which, which are quite distinct. I pass million-dollar homes and one-bedroom apartments and everything in between. And at each transition, I notice how difficult it is to get from one subdivision to another. I wouldn't be able to do that particular loop in a car. Uh, they're kind of no-through zones. But there are gates. There are gates that allow me to pass, at least on my bicycle. But the way our community was built makes certain areas feel rather exclusive. And if I didn't enjoy these kind of bike rides, I might never have an excuse to go through some of these areas at all, let alone interact with the people there. For instance, I noticed that uh, it seems like not a single family in our church lives in Ridgewood or Timber Trails. You ever notice that? They aren't invisible walls, or they aren't visible walls, but there seems to be barriers nonetheless. These, these kinds of barriers, they tend to be more visible in other places. For instance, I spent a year in Northern Ireland once where, where I lived near a really tall metal wall that was built to separate Protestant communities from Catholic ones. I've heard that there are similar walls in the Holy Land, too, separating Palestinians from Israelis. And then, of course, there's that U.S.-Mexico border, the famous wall built to keep out immigrants and refugees. But I think the worst walls, or fences, are the ones that exist only in our minds, apart from geography or access. Some barriers are primarily mental. For example, I, I spent eight weeks in, in India once, too, on a mission trip through my college fellowship. We were working with a, a network of local churches there that uh, had a seminary. They did lots of education and evangelism. One day, my group was walking with our guide to the house of the head pastor uh, to share a meal together. He lived in a, a nice two-story detached house, which is about 10 minutes from the comfortable second-story apartment my group was staying in. Well, as we were walking the usual route just along the street, we noticed on the way there, there was a family that looked like they were living in the ruins of, of an abandoned lot that was partially filled with garbage. And through the open gate, 
we saw that the father was shirtless, the kids were completely naked, and these children were, were running and playing in dirt with plastic bags and broken glass. And my group of Americans, we were shocked, somewhat heartbroken, taken in, in the scene. One of the women among us, she slowed down and said to our guide, Noel, she said, Noel, she was tearing up a little bit, shouldn't we stop and do something? I mean, shouldn't we reach out and try to help them? They're naked. But Noel had already walked on by. He turned his head nonchalantly. Who? Oh, no, they, they choose to live that way. And he kept on walking. Of course, we walked on too, following him. But I continued to think about that family as we sat down to an amazing feast at the pastor's house. Indian food is my, my favorite cuisine, and I enjoyed every bite of that meal. Just like the rich man in Jesus' parable, who ate luxuriously every day, while Lazarus sat outside the gate, tormented by stray dogs, wishing he could have just a scrap from the rich man's table. But we pretended like this was normal. And Noel had assured us that they were the ones who didn't want to come through the gate. They choose to live that way, he said. It's their choice. In retrospect, I wonder if that's what, that's what the rich man said about Lazarus, too. It's interesting how this, in this parable, that the way Jesus tells it, it, it appears that the rich man, the whole time, he knew Lazarus' name. They weren't strangers to one another. The two of them must have known each other and interacted on some level, even though Lazarus probably wasn't invited to come through that gate. Maybe the rich man justified his lack of hospitality by claiming that Lazarus preferred to live on the street. Or maybe there was something about Lazarus that the rich man simply saw as inferior. Maybe he was of a different race or a different caste. It's a bit, a bit funny and disturbing in this story how even after Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man finds himself in the equivalent of hell, he still refers to Lazarus as a servant. In his entitlement, the rich man says to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to help me. Send Lazarus. And then, even after Abraham explains that the gate has been locked, it's too late, still the rich man says, then please send Lazarus to warn my brothers. Send Lazarus. As if Lazarus is still nothing but a slave or a servant to be commanded as the rich man sees fit. What an oblivious snob, this rich man, right? I mean, there's a sense of justice at the end of this parable that, that maybe this guy is getting what he deserves. He should have known better than to treat Lazarus this way. The law and the prophets are clear. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everyone knows that. It's the golden rule. So surely Jesus is right. If rich people aren't willing to exercise basic compassion and hospitality, 
then they're not going to repent even if Lazarus comes back from the dead to warn them. Right? I imagine Jesus was smirking a bit as he delivered the punchline to this story. Because, of course, it's meant to be ironic. If you've read the rest of the Gospels, you may remember that Jesus did raise a few people from death. Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow from Nain. And there was that good friend of Jesus also, the brother of Mary and Martha. What was his name? Lazarus. That's right. Jesus did raise a guy named Lazarus from the dead. We don't know much about that particular Lazarus, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was a bit like the homeless guy in this parable since, you know, Jesus had friends in low places. So it would appear that God God did listen to the plea of this rich man after all, even though maybe he didn't deserve it. God did send someone back from the dead to warn others about the consequences of their inhospitality. And then Jesus, he did the same thing. Jesus also rose from the dead in order to give us one more chance, one more opportunity to repent. Jesus said to the people more directly, he said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. It wasn't just an offhand comment here or there, but a frequent theme of Jesus' teaching to us. Again, near the end of his ministry, he said to the disciples and to us concretely, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, visit the prisoner. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do to me. That's how my Father will know that you are my sheep, that you belong to me. So it appears that we too have already been warned, and we know the way to life. We've been given the key. We've been invited to repent, to pass over, to cross through the gate. And Jesus himself showed us the way through humility, through divestment, through self-emptying. Of course, the first disciples, they struggled to understand all of this. Like us, they assume that wealth is generally a good thing, or at least morally neutral. If some people want to live in gated communities, more power to them, right? So at one point, Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it will be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It would be harder for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter God's reign. Now, uh, today no one really knows what Jesus meant by that example. Uh, I've heard one explanation, which is apparently entirely made up. It's about an ancient gate in Jerusalem that was called the Eye of the Needle. Maybe you've heard about that. Supposedly it was so small that a camel could squeeze through, but only after removing all of its cargo, all of its excess baggage. I still like that image, even if, even if that gate never existed. Because it does seem to be the process that Jesus was getting at. 
Jesus assures us again and again that it is, it is possible to get through the gate. The chasm has not been fixed. The gate has not been closed. Not for us, not yet. But in order to pass through, we too may have to let go of our wealth, our blindness to fences, maybe our entitlement as well. That's part of the process. This is what Jesus did. He showed us the way. When He who was God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited, but instead He humbled Himself, taking the form of a servant, not ordering around guys like Lazarus, but instead washing their feet and lifting them up to new life. And because Jesus did this, Jesus not only passed through the gate from death to life, but He became the gate. Jesus blazed a trail for all of us to cross over into the fullness of God's justice and love. I am the gate, said Jesus, directly. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And praise God that this gate is still open. I was thinking about this in regard to my car getting locked in that forest preserve. I've been humming that, that so wide song, and I realized, hey, at least it's not me that's locked up, it's just my car. Worst case scenario, I just lose my car, right? And I suppose that would be consistent with this parable. I'm still free to come and go, but I don't necessarily get to take my wealth or possessions with me. The way to life is still available, but it might cost me something in the here and now to get through the gate. It's good news, but also challenging, don't you think? I suspect that for us, sometimes it's easier to think about these things in regard to other people, like all those examples I shared from around the world. For my friend in Knoll, it seems so obvious to us. Jesus said, clothe the naked, feed the hungry. So if you see someone naked and hungry on your way to, to lunch, it means you invite that person to join you. There may be less food to go around, but if that's the cost of salvation, so be it. And then all of those walls, walls in Northern Ireland and Israel and the U.S. border, boy, it makes me want to be like Ronald Reagan and say, tear down this wall! There's a guy I never thought I'd quote. <laughs> but hey, Jesus builds bridges that way, doesn't he? Go figure. And come to think of it, the only reason I've been made aware of these particular walls is because of Christ's church. Because God has called faithful people like us around the world to notice these divisions and to cross over and to bridge them like Jesus did. To become people of reconciliation wherever we find ourselves. It's because of Jesus that our eyes have been opened to these walls and fences and chasms that exist between us. Whether they're literal ones 
or simply the biases that reside within each one of us. Because of Jesus, we know we don't have to live within or accept these kinds of boundaries. We can work on, on bridging the religious divides in our community between Catholics and Protestants and Jews and Christians and Muslims. We can move between and across subdivisions, connecting with with local people and immigrants, gated communities and humble townhomes. Because Jesus is the gate. And He has invited us to come in. He has shown us the way to cross over into all of these spaces. And even in regard to wealth, divisions of class and privilege, Because Christ lives within us, we can use whatever resources we have been given to seek equity and justice in God's kingdom. We can help provide health care to work with Lazarus' sores. We can provide food assistance when Lazarus finds himself starving. We can reach out to Lazarus with dignity relating to him as an equal child of God, seated at the same table of grace, with the same access to all the resources of God's abundant earth. And hopefully, God willing, someday God will say to all of us, peacemakers, reconcilers, bridge builders, gate crossers, may God say to all of us, come in, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Amen?